0: This on, yep, it's on. <clears throat> Today we are going to do something a little different. We're gonna actually look in the Old Testament. And as a Bible church, you know, we typically would go through maybe two Bible or two chapters, maybe three. In a session, but we're going to go through a whole book today—the book of Haggai. I think it's only—it's only two chapters. Okay, uh, we're going to—we're going to read it all today. And I love the New Testament. Oftentimes, churches sort of—I won't say ignore the Old Testament, but they—they they focus a lot of the—the the teaching on the new. But in order to really understand the new, you have to really understand the Old Testament, right? And the reason why I chose this particular book—it's very small, first of all—but in order for it to make sense when it comes to hermeneutics, you have to know. It helps to know a lot of the historical context, right? It helps to know which covenants are in effect, and we'll explain a little bit about what the covenant is and how it applies and how it affects how God relates to to uh, to his to the object of the of the covenant. So we're going to look at Haggai, and before we do that, you take a look at this. It says, you have seen, you have, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your full. In other words, you can't get drunk. Uh, you clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. So there's a lesson there, uh, looking at the book of Haggai. And we're going to look at four of the lessons that he brings he, he, he gets across to Israel but they still have application principles to everyday believers so the old testament is still very much relevant uh, when it comes to the application interpretation is a different story so let's uh let's begin by opening up in prayer heavenly father we thank you for the entire counsel of your scripture uh, you as we know your word is inspired and the form is inspired. You talk to us sometimes through uh, we call history or uh, narratives. Sometimes you speak to us, reveal yourself through poetry, um, and sometimes just in terms of a book of laws, like the Leviticus. It's one of the most I think misunderstood books, but to me, it's the most beautiful book because here you are, Almighty God, making a decision to live amongst a nation that's not worthy but leviticus shows us that you're all about relationship and you being almighty and holy you show us that you tell the jews that this is how if i'm going to live in your midst uh, these are the things you have to learn how to do in order to approach me and for us to to both be uh, in an intimate uh, relationship or to have fellowship with one another so i thank you for your word i thank you for Uh, the entire Council of Scripture and we can use it to learn more about you and how you relate to people through the historical narratives and I thank you for those I pray that you give us wisdom to understand and to apply It's in Christ's name we pray Amen. Alright so Haggai is one of those books where you really have to put a lot of different things together and you, you know, a lot of things that are scattered throughout the Old Testament in terms of the the, um, uh, the covenants, you have to know the history. So this is a little bit about the history for those of you who may not be familiar. So the Babylonians destroyed the temple in Jerusalem in 586, right? Uh, this marked the end of Jewish national and religious life because there was no longer a temple. For those of you who've been coming on Wednesday nights, I think you're studying the temple and the... Uh, what else are you studying, the, the symbolism, et cetera, et cetera. So there was no longer the temple nor the sacrifice. So under the policies of Cyrus the Great, he's the king of Persia, nearly 50,000 Jews were allowed to return to Judah, which had become had come under Persian control. So among these, you have Joshua, the high priest. You'll see him mentioned in Haggai. Uh, you have the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. You have Zerubbabel. Uh, we see that in Ezra. So Haggai was one of the three prophets. out of three you had Haggai, you had Zechariah and Mal- Malachi who wrote after the exile to Babylon in Babylon. So all of these prophets share the same objective, basically was to encourage uh, the spiritual and moral life of the remnant that had returned to the city uh, as they rebuilt the temple and the nation. So keep in mind that when we look at the book of Haggai, it's only two chapters, you have the Levitical sacrifices still in effect and eventually reinstituted based on what we can see in Ezra chapter 3. And the temple's foundation had been laid, uh, but rebuilding the actual temple had been neglected primarily due to harassment from the Samaritans and the nation's own spiritual apathy. So again, perfect example, Israel apathetic, you have a nation like the United States, apathetic, you know, there are consequences to that. Um, While the temple lay in ruins, the remnant, and they had built their houses, nice homes for themselves. You see that in Haggai chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4. And as a result, God raised up Haggai to encourage and instruct the Jewish leaders to wake up from their spiritual apathy and to rebuild the temple. The temple needed to be rebuilt. So That's really what the book of Haggai is about. So the theme, what is the theme of the book? Um, God encourages his people to be fully committed to him. uh, And this involved rebuilding the temple. So before we delve into the book, let's get some historical context here. So, I mean, to make the long story short, you have the, the nation Israel that God chose. And God made these different covenants, right? So one of the covenants was the Mosaic covenant. That's basically looking at you know the Pentateuch. And God says, if you do this, I will do this. If you are obedient to me, I will bless you. If you are disobedient to me, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna rip you up. And of course, that's what he did. We know that because after you had the kings, you had Moses, you had going over into the Promised Land. You had the, the, you had Saul, you had uh, King, uh, you had Samuel, uh, Saul, and then King David, and then you had uh, Solomon, right? So remember, that's when the kingdom split. You had Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Rehoboam was the, was the son of, uh, was that the son of Solomon? I, f- I, f- I forget. Um, but anyways, and then you had Jeroboam. So God told Jeroboam, He said, Jeroboam, if you actually uh, do what's right in my eyes, I will bless you and use you to multiply and you know, keep the kingdom going. But what did Jeroboam do? <laughs> when God, God told him this, what did he do? He went and said, we're going to go down here, we're going to build a calf, and we're going to worship a calf. So idolatry, right? So what did Jeroboam do? Not much different, because eventually Israel as a nation, what was the national sin of Israel? Starts with the I. Idolatry. Idolatry. What's the national sin for the United States? Idolatry. It's not a calf, but it's probably something that's green <laughs> with these presidential figures on it and things like that. We just created and created and created, and that's going to fix the world's problems when it's not. We're just creating something out of "quote unquote" nothing. Um, so you see the parallels there, right? But there are principles to be learned. So uh, the covenant relationship. So covenant is is. Is basically it's a it's a contract that God says I'm going to write this contract with this particular group of people Israel namely and these this contract governs the rule of the relationship in other words if you do this this will happen if you don't do this this won't happen so so the Mosaic covenant is the is the first covenant there so uh, you know we see that in, in Exodus chapter twenty. Um, and that's the mosaic covenant and the focus of this particular covenant was the law the law and the formation of a nation god says i'm god almighty god i'm going to come down to earth to live amongst you people not because you deserve it but because this is my choice <laughs> right in order in order for you to relate to me without being struck down, because I'm holy, therefore you must be holy. Remember that verse in the New Testament? Um, Because I want to to live in your midst, there are certain ways that you have to learn to relate to me. There are certain rules that you need to learn so that you can understand what the profane is versus what the holy is. So that's what the law is all about, and that's the Mosaic Covenant. So you have then what's called the uh, Abrahamic Covenant. There's debate on whether it's conditional or unconditional. We're not talking about that. The point is that there is a covenant that God made to Abraham. And that was formed in Genesis chapter 15 verses 9 through 21. And the covenant covers three areas or three aspects. One is the promise of land. We see that in Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. Um, You know the dimensions are given in in Genesis chapter 15. So the promise of land you have the promise of seed, right? Genesis 12, chapter 2. So this promise is a promise of many descendants. And it's expanded in Genesis 17:6, And in, in 2 Samuel to include the Davidic covenant. Um, and this is basically culminated in the Davidic throne with Messiah's rule over Israel during the millennial kingdom. Um, and then you have another, another aspect of this covenant is the uh, promise of blessing. Let me get behind here. The promise of blessing. So blessing of Abraham. Okay, this is specifically related to Abraham. And the bu- blessings of Abraham through, um, others through Abraham, right? So you have three things, land, seed, blessing. You have the Mosaic covenant establishing the law. Abrahamic covenant, looking at land, seed, and blessing. So, those are the covenants that are mainly in effect by the time the book of Haggai is written. So, going back, so looking, another reason why I like looking at the Old Testament, because you kind of have to look at other parts of the Old, at Old Testament to make sense of what's taking place. So, keep in mind that, you know, the Levitical system is in place, as I mentioned during the prayer. You know there are two central teachings in Leviticus. One is that God is holy. Okay, all those laws you see, He's trying to help the Jews understand. This is profane. This is not profane. You're not the judge of that. I'm the judge of what's profane and, and what's not profane. So these are my standards. You are to abide by my standards, is what He's saying. So God is holy. Therefore, He must be approached uh, through correctly through the offerings and priests. We see that in Leviticus chapter 11, you shall be holy for I am holy. And then you have the, the, uh, the, the different types of sacrifices that you see in Leviticus that directly correlates to what God is saying here, I'm holy, you're not holy, or you, you should be holy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the other part of Levitical, uh, the central teachings of Leviticus is that God is personal. He's a personal God. If you know, he, this is the Almighty God who resides in heaven, right, and who decides to come down to a desert, almost, <laughs> to live to live amongst the people who really don't. Well, they don't know Him. They don't know how to relate to Him. So, one of the main uh, teachings of Leviticus is that God is personal. So, that presence of the tabernacle that you've been studying on Wednesday nights. In the middle of the encampment represents the presence of God amongst His people, and we just like today, God is very personal, right? He wants us to. We don't have to go through all the, you know, Levitical sacrifices. Thank God for that, because I don't know what I would do. My hands are, you know, like I told my mom, I I work with my mind, not my hands, so my hands are they're soft. So I don't know if I would, you know, would enjoy cutting an animal (laughs) or killing an animal. Cooking one, sure, but slaying it to uh, just to get closer to God in a sense or to atone. Uh, thank God for the priest. Um, so he, he, he's personal. So let's look at some key dates. So keep in mind that when the book is written, God has told Israel, you know, the covenants are still in effect. We still have the Abrahamic uh, covenant in effect. These are, the, these are the rules. These are the laws, right? So what are some key dates that we probably need to keep aware of? One is the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586. We talked about that earlier, right? So when the kingdom split, one kingdom was basically wiped out by the Assyrians. Why? Because of idolatry. Um, and then this is the, the uh, second kingdom, or the, I think this is the southern kingdom, was wiped out, well not wiped out, but um, carried away by the Babylonians during the Babylonian captivity for 70 years. So it was destroyed. Um, and then 538 uh, BC, Cyrus decreed that the Jews may return to Judah. This has all been prophesied from long ago. Uh, and the Jews, you know, the prophecies came true. Uh, 538 BC, Zerubbabel leads the exiles to Judah. And 536, the temple altar is rebuilt. And then 535 through 520 BC, temple construction stopped. And because of that, because they stopped because of, God, of, of their disobedience, Haggai was sent to prophesy to the Jews to encourage them. You need to rebuild the temple. OK, there's, there are certain things that must happen, certain prophecies that must come true. You need to rebuild the temple, right? Um, and they, so Haggai prophesied that the temple uh, rebuilding should re- resume. Um, and then in 5.15, the temple is finally completed. So that's the context for uh, the historical context, the covenantal context for reading and properly interpreting and applying the book of Haggai. So if you would, open your Bibles. We're going to read a book. We're going to read two books. That's record breaking time for a Bible church. Two chapters in one session. So, good thing is it's short, right? Two chapters. <coughs> All right, so I'm going to ask some of you. Let oh, me ask some of you to read. Let's we'll see if I can find it. Uh, where is my Bible? There it is Haggai. <coughs> Haggai, Haggai, Haggai. Chapter. Haggai, chapter one. If you can't find Haggai, it's like three books before Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. (coughs) All right, so we're going to look at uh, verse or chapter one, verses basically one through 15. So the whole chapter, this is his first. So there's four messages that (coughs) Haggai had to the returning Jews. So it says in the second year of Darius, the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, <coughs> the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord uh, to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet, saying, it is time for you yourself to dwell. Is it time for you yourself to dwell in your paneled houses while this house the temple lies desolate now therefore thus says the Lord of hosts consider your ways he's going to repeat that to the Jews several times consider your ways Uncle Larry consider your ways you have sown much but have but harvest little you eat but there is not enough to be satisfied you drink but there's not enough to become drunk you put on clothing, but no one is warm enough, and he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it, and be glorified, says the Lord. You, you look for much, but behold, it comes to little when you bring it home. Why I blow it away. Why declares the Lord of hosts, Because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you run to his own house, therefore, because you, because of you, the sky has been with, has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on the what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, And all that the labor, all the labor of your hands. So then Zerubbabel and the son of Shetiel and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, (coughs) the high priest, with all the remnant of people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai, the prophet and the Lord their God had sent him. And the the people showed reverence for the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the high priest. And they came and worked in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. So the first message that We see in in verses 1 through 15. The key verse is going to be verse 8. Go to the mountains. Bring wood. Rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with you. With it and be glorified says the Lord. So the first message is to resume building the temple. So the defined accusation that we see here is procrastination. What's the accusation? I told you. To rebuild the temple. My temple lays desolate. While you build these luxurious houses. Out of disobedience. So procrastination. We see that in verses 2 and 4. So what's the problem? Selfish, selfishness, selfish, selfishness living. selfish, uh, Living and spiritual apathy. Led to procrastination. And divine discipline. So remember the covenant is still in effect here, Mosaic covenant, right? So what's the solution? Obedience. That's the solution. We see that in verses 12 through 15 where God says you need to go and, you know, get the wood and finish building my temple. So the solution is obedience. Problem is is spiritual or uh, selfish living and spiritual apathy. It led to procrastination and divine discipline. Does that sound familiar in America? Some people say, America, America, the great. <laughs> so uh, it leads to procrastination. So, what form did the divine discipline take place? It's in the chapter. You know, drought. Usually, when he disciplines a nation, it could be drought, it could be lack of food, it could be pestilence. Uh, but typically he does something, you know, to shake up, maybe, maybe you know, the, what do you call it, the supply chain. <laughs> uh, just rattle it just a little bit to see you get people's attention. Um, but the solution to that as a nation was, was obedience. The leaders and the people, they re, re, uh, responded to God's command. So what are some universal principles you can take from him, from this? Uh, take time to evaluate your own life. You know, that's it's an iterative process, right? This is what the, the principles of this historical narrative is telling us. Take time as a nation, as an individual, to evaluate your own life in your own situation. And put first things first and make the necessary changes based on God's will. So this is why I entitled or titled the, uh, the lesson, you know, priorities. Who or what comes first? So in the case of the Jews in the book of Haggai, they put themselves first. They put their own priorities first. I'm going to build my house first. It's going to be great. Um, But God's house, uh, it'll it'll, it'll get there, but not right now. But God says now is the time, right, to rebuild it. Um, So put things first. The third principle is to heed God's discipline. In other words, you know, my nephew... Um, when he was a kid. <coughs> For those of you who have kids, you know some kids you can, you know, you can spank the kid, and the kid pretty much will heed it and not do it again. And then some kids you can you can throw them across the field, and they're not going to change or budge at all. So spanking really doesn't do much. So my nephew's in that in that category. So the point is, if God is disciplined take heed, listen, learn from it, right? because he could make it a lot worse. He knows how to get your attention. And do you really want him to really get your attention? <laughs> I mean, part of me says, no, I don't. But part of me, is that when I say that, it's like I can sort of wiggle my way out of it, but that's not true either. I think when he, he if he's gentle, he, and God is gentle, uh, when he disciplines and is gentle, he can get your attention and still be gentle. But if you're still hard headed, he, he can he can turn up the fire and really get you really really hurts. Um, So he knows exactly what each of us, the the things that we don't want, you know. So in in Israel's case, it was the, you know, the the land, the famine, the brain, et cetera, et cetera. You know, usually if I'm being disciplined, God gets me through, you know, causing a huge expense, an out-of-pocket expense. He's like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. So pay attention to it. Okay, so that's the first message. Just first message is resume rebuilding the temple. Um, The second message, we're going to look at chapter 2. See how fast we're going. This is a whole chapter in under 10 minutes. Okay, chapter 2. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 9. Who would like to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 9? Ron, would you take that one?
1: Now to Bilbao, the son of the governor of Judah and to Joshua, the son of Jehovah, the high priest, and to the DM, remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? But now take courage, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, the son of Jehovah, the high priest, and all you people of the land, take courage declares the Lord, at work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in the midst. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more is a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea also, and the dry land. And I shall shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all the nations, and I will fill the house with glory, says the Lord of hosts.
0: Thank you, Ron. So the second message is do not be discouraged. Keep building. So the problem was that the people were discouraged. You see that in verse 3 because they had the wrong perspective. So imagine today, look around the world today, you know, as a believer, look around is it very encouraging? We see stupid stuff happening around the world, we see nations invading nations for whatever reason, we see our own nation uh, making, basically systematically getting further and further and further and further away from God but, you know, is that a reason to say, well I'm just going to be apathetic and do nothing because look around me nothing it's not nice nothing's nothing seems to be working right so the point here is that you you don't have the, the wrong perspective so what's the solution same solution for us focus on God's promise his promise and his plan so in this particular context remember you have the covenant relationships right and you had prophecy, prophets who had prophesied to them about what's going to happen in the future and how the kingdom is going to be rebuilt and how the millennial kingdom of Christ is going to come and rule and reign, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the solution for us is the same. Focus on God's promises, his plans. So what are some principles? We've seen this in, in the New Testament. Set your mind on things above. Don't you, you can in any On any given day, I guarantee you, if you don't believe me, try me. On any given day, you can look around your life, look around whatever, and find something that's not going right, right? Something to get upset about. Something that may be discouraging. But the point is, don't worry about that stuff. If you can fix it, fine. But keep your mind focused on things above. Set your mind on things above. I know some some, uh, scriptural references for you, Colossians 3 and Hebrews 11. Number two, rely on God's provision. Rely on God's provision. Uh, And we see that in Philippians 4. You can look at those in your spare time. And the third principle is to live in the presence of God daily. Live in the presence of God daily. How does, this goes back to what I was talking about in the first session. Uh, How does knowing him intimately influence your behavior? The closer you are with God, the more intimate you are with God, the more Focus. You're going to stay on him on a regular basis. You won't be or distracted or easily distracted to focus on uh, the things of the world. So that's the second message. The third message is found in verses 10 through 10 through 19. Ron, do you mind continuing with that?
1: and touches bread with this bowl, or cooked food, wine, oil, or other food, will it become holy? And the priest answered and said, no. And Haggai said, if one who is unclean from the fork touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? And the priest answered and said, it will become unclean. And Haggai answered and said, so is this people, and so is this nation, before me, the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they have offered there is
0: No, that's good. That's good. Um, thank you. So the key verses here are verses 10 through 19, or the key verses here are actually uh, verses 14 and 19. And Haggai said, so is this people, and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. And then verse 19, is the seed still... In the barn, even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranates, and the olive tree, is it not born? It has not borne fruit yet. From this day on, I will bless you. So, what's going on here? Um, what do you think? You know, they're building the they're building the temple, but at the same time, God says you're unclean. What do you think's going on with that? In terms of attitude. So think of, think of, think of one way to look at it would be, you know, despite their outward uh, spiritual work, right? So they're, they're physically rebuilding, but the attitude isn't right. The attitude isn't right. Um, They're still inwardly disobedient. So for example, let's say if someone comes to church on Sundays and they're basically still living in sin, is that going to render a blessing from God? No. Coming to church could be deemed as a spiritual act, right? Or let's say you, you might be a preacher, you might be a pastor. Okay, one would think outwardly, okay, that's a noble profession. He's spiritual, right? But yet still, he's living. He's committing adultery on a regular basis. Okay, so that's what God is saying. This is what's happening. Your 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 spiritual outwork. Um, outward spiritual work of rebuilding the temple, you're still innerly disobedient. So that's why the the discipline continued, right? So let me go to the next slide here. Uh, So the third message is disobedience renders even sacrificial service unacceptable. So we just talked about that. Despite their own outward spiritual work of rebuilding, They were still inwardly disobedient, therefore discipline continued. What's the solution? Heed God's discipline, remember, reflect, repent. The word repent means to change your thinking about something, right? And in the case of the gospel, it's really uh, change your thinking about who Christ is. He's not some lunatic. He is God who actually died for sins. Uh, but some people mis- misinterpret the repentance saying, oh, you have to change your way of living to get to heaven, but that's not what it's saying. Repentance means to change your thinking about something. Consider your ways. This is where God kept telling the Jews, consider, consider your ways. So other ways of saying, um, let's see, the principle, the principle, remembering your disobedience and discipline from the last time is a way to prevent future disobedience and discipline. So the argument could be then summarized as: Think carefully, right? Think carefully. From this day onward, onward, um, you had harvest in the past, but from now on, things will improve because the obedience improved, right? The attitude improved. So I'm going to read from here in my notes: Faithful obedience in continuing to rebuild the temple would enable them to experience God's blessing, not merely because of rebuilding the temple, right? They believe that their working on the temple itself made them more holy or would be the cause of God's blessing. So, for example, a full-time minister uh, is is more holy and will receive more rewards than the Christian school bus driver, for example. The answer is no. Uh, Will the missionary who's out on the front lines uh, be considered, or can he be considered more holy or more spiritual than, let's say, the Christian teacher who teaches in public schools? So the point here is, is not the the career path that makes you holy, right, and increases your inheritance. It's obedience, right? So you can you can do all the right things outwardly, but for the wrong reasons, and that's what's going to cut the blessing. Is this is exactly what uh, the Jews were doing here in this case? Um, so let's go to the fourth message Uh, this is found in chapter 2 verses 20 to 23 then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month saying speak to Zerubbabel governor of Judah saying I am going to shake the heavens and the earth I will overthrow the thrones I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations and I will overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders will be brought down everyone will by the sword of another on that day declares the lord of hosts I will take you Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel my servant declares the lord and I will make you like a signet green, for I have chosen you declares the lord so the fourth message the key verse here is verse 22 uh, where's 22? I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders and their horses and their riders will go down, every one by the sword of another. So the principle, so the, the fourth message is that the Messianic kingdom will replace the Gentile world powers. Again, keep your mind on things above. So the principle here. God is faithful to keep his promises. So keep in mind, we're talking about the covenants, the promises he made to Israel based on the covenants. He is faithful to keep his promises. And he, God blesses those who are faithful to his call. So again, it goes back, just tying it over to the New Testament, to where we are today like we talked about this morning, you know, there are commands such as evangelize, there are commands such as making disciples. God does not necessarily cause, call us to success as we might see it, but he calls us to being faithful to whatever it is he has told us to do. So we don't, you know, we can we can evangelize all day long, we can make disciples, but it doesn't mean you're going to have a mega church. Right? It doesn't mean you're going to have uh, a, a huge following. That's, to me that's comforting because to me my, my responsibility is only to be faithful to what God called me to do and that is to evangelize. I can't make someone believe. I'm glad I can't. Right? When I was evangelizing on the college campus we were taught about maybe in a semester, it's three, maybe 3,000 students And out of that 3,000, maybe about 20 or so became believers. Now, is that sad? No, not really. Because that could have been a seed that God uses maybe 10 years down the road. Right? To where that person, that was the first opportunity where they heard the gospel. God may still need to work in their lives so that they can, you know, figure out some things or whatever. Uh, And that person becomes a believer maybe 20 years down, 30 years down. So the goal is not to twist the arm and say, you better believe. (laughs) You know, I remember sometimes when I was a younger Christian, brand new, I was like, why don't they get this? Why don't they get this? It's so easy. It's so clear. Calvin, it's not my responsibility. So God calls me or us to being faithful to the commands, right? Discipling. I was like, why don't you guys want to do this? Why, Why are you guys not really... Why, is it, why isn't it sticking? <laughs> you know, why aren't these te- these teachings sticking? Uh, because it you know it might take someone ten years to change a habit or something like that. So again, the the, the encouragement part, and I think this is where the messages come out, the the, the uh, high guy's messages. You know, focus on what he calls you to. Focus on being obedient. He said, do this. I did it. I can't control what happens in terms of other people's behavior. I can't control they, the fact that they don't want to break this particular habit. I can't make them leave a particular, make a lifestyle change, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But being faithful, that's what God calls me to. And then that's what the rewards are going to be based on. Not based on how many people you converted. Well, you didn't convert anybody, right? That's not the way it works. God used you, used us to... Uh, to play a role, whether the other person responds positively or negatively, that's not my business as long as the gospel was a clear gospel, right? So anyways, I'm going to give you back some of your, I'm going to give you a gift today. It's called 15 minutes back of your time, right? (laughs) So (laughs) any questions or comments about anything we've talked about, whether this morning uh, this session is—it's different. I teach a different way, um, and I've heard some positive comments. So, any questions, comments? I like being inter- interactive, so uh, you don't have to just sit there and soak it in. I enjoyed it very much. Well, thank you, Uncle Larry. I'll pay you later, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever God said. I don't. <laughs> Alrighty, let's let's close in prayer. We'll uh, we'll end early today. Heavenly Father, again we thank you for your Word. We thank you for this body. We thank you for uh, the fact that we are related to you, and that one day we will see you face to face and spend eternity with you, Father. That's so encouraging and looks you gives us all something to look for. I pray that we would take uh, the principles that you present in your Word and apply it to our lives and my greatest desires for each person is to uh, to grow closer to you, more intimately with you, uh, more in tune with you, Father, and to uh, keep their minds, our minds focused on things above rather than what's on this world or what's, you know, easily things that are easy to to see um, and to become distracted over. And I pray that we would uh, live out each day victoriously, as I mentioned earlier, we all going to get through a day the day but the question is how Um, and I pray that each one of us would take action and live intentional Christian lives rather than haphazard uh, the way that Samson did he could have been a a powerful ministry but because he really didn't take it seriously he missed out on a lot and we pray all these things in Christ's name Amen